Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Well, hello, King's Church. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you are gathered today, all around the Atlantic region. And we also realize there's people beyond that all across Canada, even in the United States, and then all over the world. Hey, wherever you are, we're really glad you chose today to tune in with us. If you have a Bible, we're going to jump right in. We are in Revelation. We've been in it for uh, over almost two years now. I guess not almost two years. We're in our second year anyway. We started last January. And here we are. We are in it, and we're continuing on in it. And as you turn to Revelation chapter 11, I just want to say, stay encouraged. Uh, I, I know that it has been a hard year, but we are at the, I believe, just we're, we're at the, in the ninth inning. We're on third base. Uh, it's the fourth down, fourth and goal. We're almost there, however you want to say it, whatever analogy you want to use. I just believe we're going to be together again. Uh, just today, Pastor Anthony sent me a video uh, from Harvest Conference last, last fall, not last fall, but the fall before, 800 women worshiping Jesus. And I just watched it and cried. Just, I can't wait to gather together again. And that day's coming soon. So hang in there, church. Encourage yourself today. Be encouraged. Encourage someone else. We're going to get through this. And I can't wait to get back together. So the title of my message today as we continue in Revelation. I want to talk from the title and the topic, I will give them my power. I will give them my power. We're going to talk about dynamic disciples. And to do that, I want to start out with a little, a little illustration. I want to talk about quintessential elements, the quintessence. This past week, someone sent me a video and I opened the video and it had this kind of image of almost like a plane landing. And it was a video of, of, of land kind of coming into full zoom and getting closer and closer, almost like a skydiving video. And before too long, I realized, hey, that's not planet Earth. As I'm seeing the, the ground come into vision and it cuts through the, 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 the atmosphere, I'm noticing that this, this ground is red. It's this red gravel. And I start to realize, oh my goodness, this is video of Mars. Real video. Has anybody seen the video yet from the Mars rover? It's unbelievable, y'all. We are on Mars. That's incredible. Now, I promise I'm not going to get on a big tangent about interplanetary exploration and, the, and God's plan for us. We'll do that another day. But I was so blown away just seeing the video of Mars. And the real, I realized it was Mars before I even saw the title of the video because I could see the red dirt, that quintessential element of the planet Mars, that red dirt. Now, some of you may be anti-Marsers, you Mars hoaxers. You might say, hey, that was actually PEI. That red dirt, was it's a fake, it's a scam. No, that's really Mars. And we've got like panoramic video of it now. Go check it out. You can see it. NASA's posting stuff all the time. It's incredible. But that quintessential element of Mars, we know it. It's that, it's that red dirt. The quintessence of something is that element that gives it its distinction. You know, like your children. Some of us have kids that, that look so much like us. Like Melanie and I get that comment all the time. Like they see our kids and like I can tell that Brent's your dad. That they have that quintessential Ingersoll look. That quintessence. The other day I saw a car coming down the road and I knew from, a, from far away that that is a Tesla. Before I even saw the T on the hood, I knew just by the shape of it, it had that quintessential Tesla look. 
The quintessential element is something that gives something its distinction. Like you can spot a Leafs fan from a mile away, can't you? That, that hopeful optimism followed by dread, defeat, and despair, you can, you can spot it. It's that quintessential element. And today I want to hit this idea of quintessence. The quintessential element in speaking about the people of God, the, the witnesses of the Lamb, the church, you and I, I want to talk about the quintessential element of the witnesses of the Lamb. We have been studying the book of Revelation, like I said, for over a year now. We're in our second year of this journey, and I am loving this book. We're halfway through now. Can you believe it? I'm pretty sure this is going to be a three-year odyssey, and we will be done in 2022. So who knows? We're in no hurry, though, are we? We love just doing the deep dive, and we are right smack dab in the middle. But maybe some of you are just catching up, or you're just tuning in for the first time. You're like, what on earth is this? Here's the Coles notes on what you need to know and what we've really learned over the last year studying this book. And that is this, that the book of Revelation, first and foremost, the purpose of it, it was a letter given to the church, not just when it was written in 96 AD, but we believe for all times for the purpose of giving the listener and the reader grace and peace. And, and the, the, the grace and the peace is actually going to come by way of giving us information through Revelation. It's going to show us some things that are at work right now and will be at work in the future. And the, the word revelation is actually generated from the Greek word apocalypsis, which means unveiling. And so we've found that out, that that's the purpose. It's to unveil realities that are at work and will be at work that we need to know and that will help us if we know and we heed those images. We also found out that this book is actually what's known as apocalyptic literature, that it's communicating through images, that we're supposed to read it and ask not when will this happen primarily, but what is this saying to the church? What is this message? Like when this message was given to the church in 96 AD, they would have read it and they wouldn't have thought, hey, that's going to be a great message someday for the last church in the last days. They thought, what is Jesus saying to us right now? And so we've been doing that. And we realized that apocalyptic communication is a form that needs to be interpreted literarily, what do these images mean, and ultimately, that this, this means something now and it will mean something finally and ultimately at some iteration in the future. I know, I know it's a little hard to wrap your head around, but it's really important that you don't miss that so you don't miss the meaning. And then we found out the big idea. The big idea of the book of Revelation is quite simply this, that the Lamb, Jesus Christ, the risen Christ, is on the throne currently, despite all that you might see, despite the coronavirus, despite the economy, despite all of the uncertainty in your life, Revelation makes the bold claim that Jesus is Lord and is on the throne and he's ruling in grace, power, and peace and truth. And that is the big claim of the book of Revelation. And that's some good news. I mean, I could preach that right now. Someone needs to hear that. Jesus is on the throne. And that, that he's actively right now unfolding and establishing his kingdom. There's this image in, in chapter five where he opens this scroll and he bursts these seals that were holding back the will of God. And the, the, the point is that Jesus has taken hold of the plan and the will of God and he's unfolding and exacting God's will on the earth. And as that is happening, sin and hell and death is, is scrambling away and he is ultimately eradicating the creation from sin, death, Satan, and hell. And that's what's happening through the judgment. And so when we read the book of Revelation, there's some really 
wild things that we, we see. But ultimately what's going on is the lamb is eradicating sin and he's calling all people to come to salvation and eternal life in himself. It's really good news. It's, it's an amazing. And we've been so blessed by this book over the last several months. And so we've been applying it, number 3-3, three, three, as you can see, I typo, that happens. But we've been applying that the lamb, Jesus, is calling all people to himself. And that is the good news about this book. And where we, where we left off is right smack dab in the middle of the book of Revelation. And now the middle really matters. We actually found out, we, we brought in like a, a pinch hitter scholar a few weeks ago. And he taught us how in, in apocalyptic literature, it's actually the main point is in the middle, not at the end. And we are right in the middle. And we have learned over the last couple weeks that the main point in the middle of the book of Revelation is this message to the church. This message to you and I, the church, not just in 96 AD, but at all times and today, the message is this. Will the people of the Lamb, will the people of the Lamb rise up and call all men to, to the Lamb? Will the witnesses rise up? That's what the message is. It was a message in the first century to the, to the church that was being persecuted under Domitian. Hey, it is your time to rise up, stand up, be witnesses in the dark, and call people to the Lamb through the power of the Lamb, by the way of the Lamb, through the word of the Lamb. You call people to the Lamb. And it is a message, y'all, to us, King's Church in Atlantic Canada in 2021. Will the real church please stand up? Will the witnesses of Jesus please stand up and say, come on over here, salvation belongs to our Lord and to the Lamb, come to Him. That is the message of Revelation that we've been exploring. And so we've been asking over the last couple of weeks this simple question. And we're parking here for a few weeks because we think this is worth talking about. What does it look like for the church to bear witness to the Lamb in our day? What would it look like for us to be witnesses of the Lamb in our day? What does it look like for us to bear witness to the Lamb in our day. Now, today we're going to look at the quintessential, the quintessential element of what it looks like for the witnesses of God to bear witness to the Lamb. And that is found in this picture. We've been unpacking this picture in Revelation chapter 10 and 11. It's a picture of the church. And we've, if you missed that, go back a couple weeks and you'll find out how we unpack that this is actually a prophetic picture of the church. But I want to look at it again today and I want to pull out one distinction, one element for us to consider. And I believe this is something that, that the Lord wants me to do for our church to call something awake inside of you today. But let's read it together and let's just highlight some things that I think we need to talk about. So the Lamb says to John and he says, I will give power. There it is. I will give, say it in the chat, I will give power to my two witnesses. And they will be clothed in burlap and they will prophesy during those 1260 days. And these two prophets are the two olive trees. That's important. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And they're the two lampstands. Now, what's that all about? We'll, we'll hit that in just a minute. And then it goes on and it says that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire flashes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. This is how anyone who tries to harm them must die. And then verse six says, there it is again. They have, say it in the chat, they have power. The witnesses have power. They have power to shut the sky. Hmm, sounds familiar. So that no rain will fall for as long as they prophesy. That's important. We'll come back to that later for as long as they prophesy. And they have the power, there it is again. They have the power to turn the rivers and oceans into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they 
wish. Now, what on earth is going on right here? What is this message speaking to the church? What is going on? It says, I will give power. I will give power. They will have power. Here it is. Here's the big idea. The quintessential element of the church, the quintessential element of the witnesses of the Lamb is that we have been given power, like real, supernatural, transcendent, heaven-opening power. That's the message. What are the oil, what are the, uh, what are the olive trees and the lampstands? What's that all about? Did that pop out to anybody? Well, what, what, what are those? Well, we, we found out a couple weeks ago, those are, those are pictures of the people of God and we tie that back into scripture. But more specifically than just identifying factors of God's people, more specifically than just, say, you know, the first Christian saying, hey, that's us. There's a distinctive about those two things. Do you, do you catch, what, what, what do olive trees and lampstands have in common? They both have oil. They both have oil. Oil is the essential element in the lampstand. Oil is the essential element in the, in the olive trees. What's the point of oil? Well, if you, if you know the Bible at all, oil is the prophetic picture of the, the touch of God on someone. It's the anointing of God. It's a picture of the Spirit of God resting on somebody. That's what the oil is all about. So when it's speaking about this, this is yelling at the first Christians to say, if you are going to be a witness to the Lamb, you are going to be marked by power. You are going to be the olive tree, the lampstand, the one who has oil, the oil of the Spirit, the fire of the Spirit. You are going to be marked by the power of God. Full stop. That's what it says. The witnesses are marked by power. Here's the, here's, the, here's the main point. The main point today, I'm going to unpack it for a few minutes. Not going to be super long, but I, I want to proclaim this. And I'm even going to ask you right now, wherever you are today, just to open your spirit up and say, Holy Spirit, if that is you speaking to me, speak to me. And would you upend my assumptions and destroy my doubts and help me hear the word that the Spirit is saying to the church? Let me proclaim this. And I hope it rattles inside of you. Here's, here's what this is saying. The witnesses of Jesus will bear witness to Jesus through the power of Jesus. That the witnesses of the Lamb will bear witness to the Lamb through the power of the Lamb. That is the proclamation of Revelation chapter 11. It is saying, I will give them my power and they will have power to point to me. They will have my power to do the things that I equip them to do so that it will cause all men to turn and say, there is a God. The quintessence. Now, some of you, some of you are thinking, wait, whoa, whoa. Now, that's not been my experience. I know you're talking about the church here, and my experience has not been, you know, power to shut up the sky and power to inflict plagues and power to see signs and wonders and miracles as long as we step out there. Like, that's not been my experience. And I'm going to push a little bit for a minute and ask you again, like I said, to just sort of check your experience and your presuppositions aside for a minute and entertain this thing that Revelation is speaking to us right now, and that is that the quintessence the quintessential element of the church, the quintessential element of the witnesses is having been touched, having been endued, having been anointed with the power of God by his very presence, by the Holy Spirit. That is the quintessence. Hear, let, hear this. If we are going to win Atlantic Canada, like if our church are going to be part of the church in Atlantic Canada, winning Atlantic Canada to the Lamb, winning people back to Jesus and seeing his kingdom established in Atlantic Canada as it is in heaven. The quintessential element, the thing that's going to accomplish that is power. It's power. Notice the Lamb did not give the witnesses his witnesses. He didn't give them great programs 
Then give them a new institution. He's like, and then I'll give my, my witnesses a new denomination and it's gonna be better than the old denomination. He didn't do that. He didn't give them Sunday school. Those things are all great. He didn't give them alpha. Those things are great. He didn't give them great personalities or influence. He didn't give them production. He didn't give them performances or industry or, or artistry. He didn't give them positivity or niceness or hype. He says, I will give them power. Power, like supernatural, transcendent power that makes the world turn and say, there must be a God because that's not normal. Power. And this is consistent all through the scripture. It's a consistent message. You know, the prophets say, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It says, unless the Lord builds his church, the laborers work in vain. You can have all the perfect Sunday school you want. You can have the perfect service. You can have all the right lights and the cool technology, all the things. But if there is no power, it's not doing it. It's the power is the quintessential element. The kingdom is established in power. Jesus triumphed in power. The witnesses win the world through power. The church is established by power. The church was established by power. Look, you, you, you read the Old Testament, read the, book of, read the New Testament, read the book of Acts, read the works of Paul. Paul knew it. Paul knew the drill. Paul knew that he couldn't rely on how smart he was. And I'll tell you what, that was a brilliant dude. He knew he couldn't remind, you know, rely on how capable he was. That was a capable guy. Talk about launching the whole church to the, to the Greek world while having a tent-making business. That guy had some capacity. But look what he said. Look what he said to the Corinthians. He says, when I came to you, I didn't use lofty words or impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan, for I decided, I made a decision because I knew that while I was with you, I would forget everything. I'd forget my talent. I'd forget my intellect. I'd forget my ability to hold your attention. I'd forget all of those things except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. And I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. And my message and my preaching were very plain. It wasn't a hype. I wasn't standing on my head. I wasn't trying to entertain you. I just gave you Jesus. And rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, look at this. I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's why I said, I did this so that you would not trust. You would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. And later on, he says, because the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. This is what the Bible said. Paul knew it. Paul knew. He said, look, if, if they don't have an encounter with the presence and power of God, it's, whatever it is, it's not going to hold them. If they have an encounter with my presence and not God's presence, the moment I leave, they're sunk. If they have an, uh, an encounter with entertainment and not the encounter with the presence of God, the moment that entertainment's gone, they're going to go chase the next best thing. They need, they need an encounter with the power, the power and the presence of God. He knew the only thing sufficient enough to bear witness to the lamb is the power of the lamb through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the problem. The problem is most of us lose sight of this, myself included. We often don't stay in that place of 
power, that place of anointing. In fact, we, we tend to drift away from the power and the presence of God. That's kind of the natural ebb and flow of the kingdom life. You've seen it through church history. You've experienced it in your own life. I remember, I remember talking to my mentor, one of my mentors, um, a guy named Rick Cavanaugh, who, who trained me in preaching and pastoral ministry. And I spent six months right directly under him. And I remember it was the first experience I had ever had being like filled and touched by the Holy Spirit. And I remember feeling like the, that, that ebb and flow and asking him what's going on. And he said, you know, the spirit fills, but you need to realize something. You will leak. You leak. We leak. There are, there, there's this ebb and flow to the kingdom. And the job of the Christian is to recognize that I need the power, constant flow of the power of God in my life. And there is a real tendency in Christians to drift towards powerlessness. There's a tendency in the church to drift towards powerlessness. And here's the reality. The kingdom is always born in power. If you're a Christian today, you were born in power. There was a moment that, you, that your heart was warm. There was a moment that, that the Spirit of God bypassed your intellect and convicted you of your sins and called you to redemption and forgiveness. You remember what that felt. You, the kingdom is always born in power, but something happens over time that if, we don't, if we're not intentional about it, that power just, it, it fades it, it, it ebbs. Over time, the kingdom can ebb. It can, and we can drift away from power if we're not intentional. And then what happens is, and if you've been around the church long enough, you, you've seen this happen. What happens is we start to try to manufacture things in the place of real power. Like what was once living and active and vital, the presence and the power of God was at work and it was moving and it was movemental it becomes more stale. And then we start to fabricate some things like vitality and kingdom momentum. That, that first love feeling gets replaced by tradition and sentiment. You ever hear someone talk about the glory days? Oh, I wish it could be like it was back then. No, what you miss is the power. It wasn't the songs you sang. It was the presence. It was the power of God. And that presence is available now. Passion gets replaced by programs. You know, I met, I met God in Alpha. I, I went to Alpha and I had this encounter with the Holy Spirit who, who showed me the lamb and I gave my life to him. But then you, you, you spent a year and you didn't really grow in your faith. And then you decide, you know, the only thing I know to do is to go back to Alpha again. And so you've done Alpha seven times, hoping to repeat the process. And you've just, it's just become programmatic. Revelation tends to get replaced by Information. Do you remember when you first met the Lord? Do you remember the first time that season that, that God grabbed your heart? You were so hungry for this. You sat there back when we could come to service together with your leaning forward, hungry to receive. And then over time, what happens? You, you leak. And then, you know, that posture to receive turns into good thoughts, pastor. Good talk. What happens? The, the power left. You leaked. Kingdom relationships and honor, that, that reciprocity that is supposed to exist in the kingdom of God, that mutual voluntary submission that I honor you and you honor me. And we don't need to be legalistic. We don't need to be domineering because we love and trust each other. And we can do the hard work of community because we're humble. That gets replaced by bureaucracy. I'm the pastor. You listen to me. Grace and truth gets replaced by legalism and licentiousness. You know, the power of God is, is who leads you into all truth. You go to a church that 
basically seems like they have a million rules for everything. You know what that is? The power left. And so they're trying to fabricate some powerful existence. Or you go to a church that basically says, that's all good, do whatever you want. The power left, the glory left. Ultimately, demonstrations of power. You know, the miraculous, what do you do with messages like I'm preaching right now? What do you do with scriptures that says you will receive power? What do you do with that? Well, it gets, it gets dealt with two ways. When the power leaves, it gets dealt, by, dealt with by doubt. We start to question, well, maybe it doesn't really mean that. Maybe that was only for them then. Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit came to establish the church and give us the Bible. And he, you know, the, the apostles did those miracles, but there's no signs and wonders today. Maybe that's it, doubt. Or I've been in environments where there wasn't real Holy Spirit power. It was just a lot of hype and deception and people hooting and hollering and acting like there was something going on, but it wasn't the real deal. Deception, distortions. You see, when the power goes, we start to fabricate things. And this is, this is all through the Bible. You see this trend of the ebb and flow of the power of God in the lives of the people of God. You saw it in the Old Testament. You remember the story of Eli and his, his wicked sons and that the, the Ark of the Covenant was stolen and his, his grandson was born at the same day and they named him Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. We see it in the New Testament. One of my favorite prophetic passages, Jesus comes and he curses a fig tree and then he cleanses the temple and he yells and he freaks out and he says, you don't even know it. But the power, the presence that you think is here, the life that you think is here is gone. Paul knew it. Paul, Paul warned Timothy. Paul said this. He said, mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having, there it is, a form, like a machinery, a form of godliness, but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. Amazing he wrote that 2,000 years ago, isn't it? Unbelievable. He knew. And so simply put, I just want to say this. The job of the church the job of the church is oil management. The job of the witnesses, the job of the lampstand, the job of the, of the olive tree is to consistently be touched by the presence and the power of God. That, that is the quintessential element of the church. And I just feel like this message today is just a prophetic reminder I wanted to push past your experience. I wanted to push past your doubts. I wanted to push back. I don't care how old or young you are, how new or old you are to following Jesus. Let's just let the word say what it says and let's just see if we can muster up the courage to believe that it's true. And so I want to give us three quick reminders. I'm gonna be very fast. Three reminders. First and foremost, we need to be reminded when it comes to this quintessential element of the witnesses, when he said, I'll give you my power, when you first and foremost need to be reminded that that is consistent with what Jesus said of us. He declared quite simply, Jesus, our Lord, Jesus, our Lord, the Lord Jesus, the risen Christ, he, quote, he said, full stop, flat out, he declared that his followers would walk in supernatural power power that is unordinary, that we would be marked by it, marked by it, the oil. He said it. He, look what he said. He said in Matthew 10, he said, as you go, talking to his witnesses, right? He's sending out his witnesses. As you go, the kingdom of heaven, you got to declare this message. Here is the message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. And to, 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 to 
draw witness to that reality, here's what you're going to do. You're going to heal the sick. You're going to raise the dead. You're going to cleanse those who have leprosy, and you're going to drive out demons. Freely give as you freely received. Okay. Mark 16, Jesus said, and these signs, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. John 14, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Have you read what Jesus did? And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And when he went to the Father, what did he do? He gave us the Holy Spirit. I mean, it is really, really hard to take seriously what Jesus said and and ignore that. I think he meant it. Now, some of you are... You're struggling with it. Now, I know there are actually, there are whole denominations that have been built up and whole ideologies and theologies that have been built up trying to explain this away and come up with reasons. Oh, Jesus was just talking to the disciples. He didn't mean it. He didn't mean it for everybody. That's problematic though. Because I think he did mean it for everybody. Look what he says back in Mark. Look, and these signs will accompany. He didn't say my, my, you know, Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, and all the other disciples. He didn't say that. He said, these signs will accompany those who believe. That's that's pretty broad. So everybody who believes, I think that's what he intended. And if you read the book of Acts, I mean, that's the smoking gun. That's the silver bullet. It's very hard to ignore what, what happens in the book of Acts. Look what he said. He said in an Acts, he said, one occasion while he was eating with them, this was after he'd risen from the dead, he said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. Notice, he said, don't even try to live this life of a witness without the power. Don't even bother. You just sit there and wait until you have power because you cannot do the job of a witness until you have the power of God resting upon you. He said, for John baptized with water, in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He said in verse 8, you'll receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. You see the connection? It's in the same stinking sentence. Power and witness. They go together. You will be my witnesses. And then what happened? You know the rest of the story? I wish I had more time. They're waiting in the upper room, 120 of them. And then we find that the, the, they said they heard the like a a rushing wind happened and that the spirit of God descended upon them. The oil of the spirit rested upon them and they are filled with the spirit and they spoke another language. And then it says they went out into the street and Peter proclaimed a message of good news. You know what he said? He quoted the prophet Joel and he said, you know what? In the last days, the word says that in the last days, the spirit of God will rest on all flesh and they will prophesy and they will walk in signs and wonders. And then the Bible says that 3,000 were added to their number. Bang, that's power, y'all. 2,000 the next day. And then we see as the book of Acts rolls out, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation coming to the Lamb, being filled with Holy Spirit to be able to go out and be witnesses to proclaim more the truth of the Lamb so that more people would come to the Lamb and be filled with the Holy Spirit so they could go out and proclaim the truth of the Lamb so more people would come to the Lamb and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's how it's supposed to work. It's the power of God and the people of God declaring the goodness of God, calling people to come back to Him. It's power. It's power. Jesus, the Scripture plainly declared that power is part of the deal. Power is part of the deal. Look what He said. Matthew 28, this is the big one. Jesus said, all authority, all authority in heaven and earth. What's, what's authority? Authority is, say it in the chat, it's that, it's that word again, it's the P word, power. Authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, so go. Therefore, you know what the therefore is there for? It's, it's connected. 
Therefore, because all authority has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. Be witnesses. Power and witnesses. Power is the quintessential element of the witnesses of God. Power is the quintessential element of the Lamb. So here's a question. I, I want to ask a tough question today. I'm almost done. 10 minutes max, maybe 12. If you could come at the scripture today, like let's, let's just pr- imagine I could like go into your brain and just empty the cookies and the cash and the history and all the stuff and just give you the word of God fresh and, and tell you about Jesus and you can go and you're on a deserted island. All you have is just you and the Bible and no baggage. And you just read it and you had nothing else but just to read it and you believe that it's true. What, what would you determine? Like, what would you conclude? I, I'm pretty sure that if you read the things that Jesus just said, your conclusion would have to be that those who follow Jesus get to do the Jesus stuff. That's what, that's, what the, that's what the conclusion would have to be. If you really took this scripture seriously and you took Jesus' words seriously, you would have to conclude that he really meant that we were going to walk like him and talk like him and move like him and do miracles like him. He really meant that. And interestingly enough, the people who are often the most uncomfortable with sermons like this and messages like this, they, they tend to hide behind the Bible and the authority and, you know, the, the authority of Scripture, and yet they don't even really take seriously what the Scripture is saying. Like, I would push back on some people who think that, you know, they're cessationists, that the Holy Spirit doesn't equip the, the church anymore to do the work, the miraculous works. I, I don't think you believe the Bible. Because my Bible says these signs will accompany those who believe. If you believe Jesus is who he says he is, if you believe Jesus did what he said, he, what, he, what he did, will you believe he meant what he said? Even if it's beyond what you've experienced. Here's what I know to be true. The dismissing what he said is not an option. Jesus said plainly, you will do even greater things. So what did, what did Jesus do? Here's another reminder really quick. Jesus demonstrated his authority. He spent three years demonstrating his authority, declaring, I am the king, my kingdom is coming, here's proof. That's what he did. That's what his ministry is all about. It's the kingdom of God is crashing into the earth. New creation is bursting forth out of the old creation. I am the king, I'm establishing my kingdom. And all of these little things that I'm doing are signs pointing to that reality unfolding before your eyes. That's what miracles are. They're they're signs. They're not an end to themselves. They're pointing to the king and his kingdom. That's all they are. What did he do? Well, we saw Jesus had authority over the elements. He had, so, I mean, it would be fun, it'd be fun to study this in some detail. Maybe you could do that this week. He, he, he exercised authority over nature, storms. He calmed storms. He walked on water. He had authority over molecules and atoms. He took food and made more food out of nothing. He got money out of a fish's mouth. Like he, 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 he helped fishermen fill their nets when there was no fish to be found. Like he had ultimate authority over everything in nature. That's why the disciples marveled. Who is this that even the wind and the waves listen to his word? He has authority over nature. He has authority over ideas over ideologies, over wisdom. He is the wisest man who has ever lived. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and they they hold up today. I mean, Jesus says unanimously, find somebody who said something greater than what Jesus has said. You won't. 
It's the highest. It's the authority. Jesus is the authority on truth. He is the truth. And it's not only was he smart, he was all-knowing. I, I love the text where it says, and knowing their thoughts, he said. Do you know that the Spirit knows your thoughts? He had authority over ideas. He had social authority, authority over religion, over relationships, over institutions. Who is my family? Who is my mother? Who is my brother? He who does the will of my father. I'm, I'm establishing a new family. He fulfilled the, the law and declared that I am the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He had authority over the powers and principalities of darkness. I love that part. You read through the Gospels, demons did not like being around Jesus. I know some of us grew up with this idea, like the Hollywood idea that, you know, there's this cosmic battle of good and evil. And yes, indeed there is. However, it's not quite like you think it is. Like it's not a close battle. It's not like Satan and Jesus are duking it out and it's close and we're not sure who's going to win. Like if you read the Gospels, Jesus had ultimate authority over the demonic, over Satan. He, he says in Colossians, disarm the rulers and authorities, making a public spectacle of them on the cross. And then ultimately, and this is, this is really, really what he was ultimately doing by coming and living and dying and rising is he claimed his authority over sin, shame, and death. I love the, the passage of scripture where Jesus heals the guy who was paralyzed and he heals them. And, and he didn't heal him first though. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. And then people questioned him and he said, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to, to, to pick, say, pick up your mat and walk. And he, he said, so that you will know that the son of man has authority to forgive sins, get up and, and walk. It's a sign of the greater authority. The greatest authority that Jesus has is to say, you are forgiven. You are a new creation. You can get up and walk in new life. You can be redeemed. You can be set free. He has the authority to do that. And he has established that authority even over death, not just raising people from the dead. He raised himself from the dead. That's authority. That's authority. Jesus has all power and he demonstrated. So here's, here's let me, let's land the plane. Let's land the plane. So what do we do with that? Okay, let's just suppose Jesus meant what he said, that the church is going to be endued with power and that the quintessential element of the church is going to be walking in power and that it is, it is the power of God in and through us that actually calls people back to himself. Okay, let's just suppose that's true. Now what? Like, how do we, okay, how do we do those things? Because that, that's the thing I think that hangs a lot of people up, isn't it? It's like, okay, I believe Jesus, Jesus means what he says, but there's some gap between my ability to do those things and see those things in my life and through my life and what Jesus said. And I don't really know how to bridge that gap. That's really where the problem lands for a lot of people. How do we do it? And, and here's, here's the good news today. We don't. It's not our power that does anything. And, and Jesus doesn't call us. It's not like he's, we're not Harry Potter. He's not calling us to Hogwarts to come learn how to cast spells. You know, we aren't Jedi learning how to command the force. Jesus says, I will give them my power. It's his power. Did you notice? Did you notice something? This, this, this caught me in, in Revelation. He said, I will give them power. Whose power? His power. And then notice this, verse six. He says, they have power for as long as they prophesy. What does that mean? As long as they are stepping out in faith, my power will accompany them. 
I don't have, you don't have any power. I don't have any power. Brent does not have power to heal the sick. Jesus does. Brent does not have power to forgive sins. Jesus does. You don't have power to cast out demons, but Jesus does. And he says, if you are willing and wild and bold enough to step out and believe that I have that power, my power will accompany you in that moment and in that place. But it's only in that place. And I think one of the big reasons a lot of us don't see the mighty works in our lives is because we aren't willing to step into that place of discomfort and risk and potential humiliation and disappointment. And so we stand back and we say, okay, God, give me, give me the Harry Potter wand and I'll go around. Just give me some proof. And that's not how it works. He says, as long as they prophesy, I'll give them my power. As long as you step out, I'll give them my power. That's how it works. That's how he does it. That's, that's all he expects. Jesus doesn't expect us to have power. We don't. He expects us to trust his power. He expects us to have faith in his power. That's what his expectation is. His expectation is that we would step out in faithful obedience and that we would speak the word of the Lord and that we would, if there's a moment to draw attention to the forgiving power of Jesus, we would be quick to tell people, hey, son, your sins are forgiven. Or if there's a, a moment, there's someone who has an issue that, that we can actually lay hands on the sick and we can see them recover as a sign to the reality of the kingdom. That's what he's getting at. You know, I was on a walk earlier today just thinking about, about this and the Lord brought to mind the, the parable of the mustard seed. You know, there's a story where Jesus talks about and he, he's talking about faith and he says to his disciples, you know, if you have in Matthew, I think it's in chapter 18, he says, if you have faith, even the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, throw yourself in the sea and it will do it. And now what's he getting at? What's that mean? It means that a little bit of faith placed in the right place has the power. He's talking about putting faith in him. It's not about quantity of faith. It's about quality of faith. Who is your faith in? Who's your faith in? I just felt like the Spirit wanted me to remind, like to, to, to call back to mind how great Jesus is how powerful he is. This is why it's so important to read the gospels all the time because you lack the faith in you to, to, to believe him and who he is. So you need to keep that in the front and center of your mind that Jesus is able. He's able to heal. He's able to move. He's able to cast out demons. He's able to walk on water. When you ask him to heal a body, that's not something he can't do or hasn't done before. Something you can't do, but he can. The key is his power at work through obedient vessels willing to step out. So the question today is this, will we recover a vision, maybe even an appetite to see the power of God at work in and through us? Jesus says, I will give them my power. It's power that's going to win Atlantic Canada to Jesus. It's power that's going to win Atlantic Canada to Jesus. It's people who have been saved by the lamb, redeemed by the lamb, restored by the lamb, who will speak the word of the lamb, like Pastor Seth said last week, who will step out and believe that the power of the lamb is able to accomplish whatever he wants, whenever he wants, wherever he wants, with whoever he wants. See, the, the key is, how great do you think Jesus is? It's really not about you or me. I think that's where we get hung up on all this stuff. It's like, well, I can't do these things. No, you can't. Jesus can. How big is your Jesus is the question. How great is your Jesus? Is he big enough to heal the sick? 
Is he big enough to cleanse the leper? Is he big enough to raise the dead? Because the, the Jesus of the Bible is. Will we believe that he's able and he's able to do these things even through us? Here's, here's a couple ideas that I think we need to consider today. I just want, to, I want this to kind of land with you. I just feel like this is a prophetic thing that God wants to drop into the heart of our church. Here's what, here's what I think the Lord is saying. First and foremost, we need a fresh vision of the power of God upon the church. We need to confront our unbelief. I don't care what baggage you have, what background you have. Hear the word of the Lord. The quintessential element of the witnesses of the Lamb is power. You were made for power. Jesus said, even greater things you will do. He said, these signs will accompany you. We take him at his word. Let's cast out unbelief. Let's cast out disappointment. Times you prayed and it didn't go the way you wanted to. Let's let the word of God speak for itself and let's be witnesses who step out there believing that he's able to do what he says he's able to do. Second thing, we need fresh action. We're not going to see things start to move until we start to move. We're not going to see God do great and mighty works until we're willing to step out there. Like these things didn't happen until he raised up these witnesses in chapter, chapter 11. He's like, as long as they prophesy, I will give them power. Some of us need to start prophesying. Some of us need to start risking and if you're wrong, you're wrong. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Whatever. You keep going and you keep doing it. We need a just do it mentality in this season, I believe. And lastly, we need, sorry, let's go back. We need, uh-oh. We need fresh resiliency. There it is. We need to exercise do it again faith. I think, I think there's a key in us just being relentless. Not taking, no, like take, not taking no for an answer. Like, and Jesus talked about that. He talked about persistence. But I mean, like, are you willing to just keep praying for people? Are you willing to just keep putting yourself out there? I was reminded of that this week. I was, I was watching in a, a talk by a guy who's since passed, a legend of the church, a guy named John Wimber. He was the founder of the Vineyard Church, the movement. Uh, started the whole denomination. God did amazing things through his ministry. And the greater thing about his ministry isn't even the Vineyard Church. It's all the things that have sprung out of that movement. I mean, Alpha, some of you are going through Alpha right now. Alpha doesn't exist without John Wimber's ministry. I was at, I was at uh, Holy Trinity Brompton this time last year and all through their library, they had all these John Wimber books. I was like, what on earth does John Wimber have to do with this Anglican church? And I heard the story of how he went there and he brought the power of God into that place and the Holy Spirit gripped them and something shifted. I mean, this guy had an unbelievable ministry. And I listened to him tell his story. And you can actually see all this on YouTube. It's amazing. Check it out. John Wimber. It's, he's funny and it's wild and accessible, but he, he gets talking about what shifted in their church because they were just a normal church. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit, just like the power of the Holy Spirit, just started doing amazing things. And he said, well, it wasn't as all of a sudden as it, as it seemed to everybody else. In fact, he said him and his leadership got this burden that, you know what, God wants to start doing things and moving in power and that we are supposed to start praying for the sick, believing that they'll recover. And he said, we literally prayed for a whole year after every Sunday service, we invited the sick to come forward and we'd pray for them. And he said, nobody got healed. And he's hilarious too. He goes, we were getting sick. It's super funny. And he's like, we prayed for a year. And he said, we just wouldn't 
we just wouldn't stop because we knew what Jesus had said and we knew what he asked. And so we just kept doing it. And then he tells the story about the first one they knew. It was, it was miraculous. They prayed and it was a miraculous healing. And something shifted after that, but it never would have happened if they didn't have that resilience to keep going after it. And I feel like that really is what the Spirit is wanting to say to us today, King's Church. We've had some, we've dabbled We've seen God do some amazing things. We've got miracles on record. Like this isn't stuff that's not happened to us and through us before. But I feel like the Lord wants us to stir up resolve and stir up a new vision that God wants to do even more than he did in the past. That as we step into this new season, he's expecting a church that is willing to step out and to, to lay hands on the sick, to declare the word of the Lord, to, 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 to speak the season of Jubilee, freedom for the captive, sight to the blind. I think that's what he's after in us, church, and that he's called us to rise up and to be the people of God endued with power. That's what he's after. And, and it's going to take do it again faith. And so that's a simple message today. Will you just start praying for people again? Will you just start daring to ask God to take you beyond just this natural existence? Because God is not a natural God. He is supernatural. He transcends all the categories. And if we follow the one who is outside of all the categories, we should be experiencing some things that are outside of all the categories. Can I get an amen in the chat? So here's the deal. Here's three power challenges. Power challenge this week. First and foremost, I want to encourage everybody. I want you to pray this week for yourself. For you as an individual, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a witness, and he said this about you, that I will give you my power. Pray and ask that God would reset your expectation to believe Jesus at his word, that he will give us power for every good work. And that we could see a wave of mighty works and a mighty move of God here in Atlanta, Canada. I believe for it. I'm stirring up faith for it. Let's ask God to stir up faith for it in ourselves. Number two. Let's step out this week with do it again faith. Here's my challenge. I want you to endeavor to be quick to ask God to move into situations and circumstances, to be bold, to try again and again and again. Ask yourself the question, who or what situation can you boldly call on the power of Jesus for? Go and do it. He said, I'll give you power like Moses to call down plagues if you need. I'll give you power like Elijah to shut the sky if you need. I'll give you power. You just go out there and do it. That's what he said. That's the promise. Number three, here's the, here's the final thing this week. Pray this week for the church in Atlantic Canada, not just King's Church. And I felt like this was the Lord, that we would see a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I believe that's, what, that's on his heart right now. I believe there's awakening coming to the church. I believe revival is coming to this region. And it's going to happen because the Holy Spirit poured himself out in a fresh and powerful way on the people of God. It's only going to happen through power. I want to pray. Uh, this isn't in my notes, but I just want to pray Acts chapter 4 over us as a church today as we wrap this up. This is my prayer. This was a prayer prayed by the disciples after they'd experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, they started to see amazing things happen right there in their midst, people being converted, healed, all this crazy stuff. And then something started to shift. They started to get persecution and difficulty. And John and Peter, they were actually, they were actually beat up for what they believed. And after that, this, this, this thing happens where they come together. And it, said, it says in verse 30, uh, verse 29, Acts chapter 4, verse 29, 
The disciples said, and now, and now, Lord, look upon their threats. That's what was going on in Jerusalem. Now, Lord, look upon Atlantic Canada and all the things that are coming against it and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then it says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Lord, may you stretch out your hand over this church to perform signs and wonders in the name of your servant, Jesus. Lord, may you shake the ground we stand on. May you shake the ground of Atlantic Canada. May we be filled with your Holy Spirit. May we, may our lives burn with the, with the oil and the fire of the Holy Spirit like the lampstands. May when we are crushed, may we leak the Holy Spirit so others through our suffering can even know the goodness of God. May through our lives, Lord, may they call, may they testify to the reality of the Lamb in our day. We pray in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen, amen. amen.